Good evening. Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and for the next half hour, hopefully we can unscramble our minds together from the busy day that we've been enjoying. Or maybe not enjoying, I'm not sure. I know this, that God loves you. And hopefully today you acted like he did. That God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and I hope today you were able to act in concert with that. I hope you know that God does love you and sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth to die for your sins and mine. And that that's something you're grateful for every day of your life. And that you count it a privilege to be able to represent God here on earth, doing anything that he asks. And it is indeed a privilege, even more than a responsibility, it's a privilege. So often in my life I've heard a message from somebody who's trying to portray a truth and they use a story to do that. I thought it might be fun sometime on nighttime to just read some illustrations, some stories that I've read or my dad had about different topics that the Bible speaks clearly about. In fact, I got this idea by going through an old card file that my dad had where he would cut clips from newspapers out and tape them to a four by five card or something and put them in a file. And then he would use those stories and write a date on the card for the day that he used them and the message that he used them for. I thought it was a clever way of doing things, but today with computers, we don't need those cards. So right now I have the cards on my desk and I just kind of browse them once in a while and I found some stories that were kind of fun. So I thought for tonight, let me read some of those to you that we could just learn from stories as they have throughout history. A friend of mine actually sent this one to me. It was not in my dad's file, but he sent it by email today. And it said this, he said, I saw this today and it was worth sharing. Here's the story. A pastor asked an old farmer, decked out in bib overalls, to say grace for the morning breakfast. Lord, I hate buttermilk, the farmer began. The visiting pastor opened one eye and glanced at the farmer and wondered where he was going. The farmer loudly proclaimed, Lord, I hate lard. Now the pastor was growing concerned. Without missing a beat, the farmer continued, And Lord, you know I don't much care for the white flour. The pastor once again opened an eye and glanced around the room and saw that he wasn't the only one to feel uncomfortable. Then the farmer added, But Lord, when you mix them all together and bake them, I do love warm, fresh biscuits. So Lord, when things come up that we don't like, when life gets hard and we don't understand what you're saying to us, help us just relax and wait until you are done mixing. It'll probably be even better than biscuits. Amen. Within that prayer, there's great wisdom for all that comes to a complicated situation like we're experiencing in the world today. Stay strong, my friends, because the Lord is mixing several things that we don't really care for, but something even better is going to come when he's done. Amen. Now I'm thinking this would be a great thing to do with a child, is to take all these ingredients and have them try the ingredients by themselves. Of course, 
those ingredients aren't going to be anything that's going to be worth eating. But then mix them together and make something delicious. What a great example, a great truth to be learned. There are so many things in my life where I look back and see how God used that individual thing for good. When I was a young person, I was in a hospital and for a while had some surgeries on some hips and with somebody in and out of wheelchairs and in hospitals and crutches. And there's so many experiences that I had when I was young from getting cut from a no-cut baseball team to, to not being the great basketball player I hoped I would be, to playing football and in college and playing some hockey in college and doing things that I never thought I could do. Those experiences today have come back and made me into the person that I am. During the time that I was going through that, I didn't really understand everything that God was doing and molding and making me into. But now that I look back on it, I see all those little ingredients that have gone into who I am. I know today you might be in the middle of some ingredients that you really don't like the taste of. But remember, those ingredients are just that. They're just part of the whole picture. A story like this helps remind us of those things. I was reading another story. These aren't related, by the way. They're just individual stories that I read that might be interesting for us to have in our minds and remember and put life into perspective a little bit. Here's one. It says, Ignis Jan Paderewski, the famous composer-pianist, and I probably messed up that name totally, so sorry, was scheduled to perform at a great concert hall in America. It was an evening to remember, black tuxedos and long evening dresses and a high society extravaganza. Present in the audience that evening was a mother with her fidgety nine-year-old son. Weary of waiting, he squirmed constantly in his seat. His mother was in hopes that her boy would be encouraged to practice the piano if he could just hear the immortal Petersky at the keyboard. So against his wishes, he had come. As she turned to talk with friends, her son could stay seated no longer. He slipped away from her side, strangely drawn to the ebony concert Grand Steinway and its leather-tufted stool on the huge stage flooded with blinding lights. Without much notice, the sophisticated audience, the boy sat down on the stool, staring wide-eyed at the black and white keys. He placed his trembling fingers in the right location and began to play chopsticks. The roar of the crowd was hushed by as hundreds of frowning faces turned his direction. Irritated and embarrassed, they began to shout, Get that boy away from there. Who'd bring a kid like that in here? Where's his mother? Somebody stop him. Backstage, the master overheard the sounds out front and quickly put together in his mind what was happening. Hurriedly, he grabbed his coat and rushed toward the stage. Without one word of announcement, he stopped and stooped over behind the boy, reached around both sides and began to improvise a counter melody to the harmonize with the enhanced chopsticks. As the two of them played together, Petersky kept whispering in the boy's ear, keep going. Don't quit, son. Keep on playing. Don't stop. Don't quit. And so it is with us. We hammer away on our projects, which seem about as significant as chopsticks. 
and about the time we're ready to give up, along comes the master who leans over and whispers, Now keep going. Don't quit. Keep on. And as he improvises on our behalf, providing just the right touch at the right moment. That came from a paper called The Weekly Sunshine in Snellville, Georgia. It's interesting to think how many times God has stepped in and intervened in my life or yours. Whenever you start something, the first time you do it, you're probably not very good at it. And honestly, this young boy was just acting like a boy. Oh, I know, he probably should have sat down and his mother probably should have kept a better eye on him. And maybe this wasn't even the place for him. But the one who really knew what needed to be done was the one who took action. And that boy would never forget that action. You and I are in positions where we can help young people become who they should be. There are so many young people who just need to be encouraged. They need to be told by somebody who's in a position of authority, somebody who's in a position where they'd like to be one day, that they could do this. They need to be told to keep going. There have been many times in my life where I've talked to a young man and encouraged him to do something. In fact, just recently, a young man and I were talking and I was encouraging him to do something in a leadership role. And when we were done, he just looked at me and said, thank you. I just never thought I'd hear that kind of thing. Why is it that young people have to wait so long to hear that they could do something significant and something special? Do you realize that if you just listen to God, great things can happen in your life? And anybody can do that. Sometimes we get upset with young boys, especially who have too much energy. We seem to think that that energy needs to be stopped. When really that energy is something that's a gift from God. I remember my football coach in college telling me why he recruited me to play college football. I knew I wasn't very talented, by the way, and I think everyone else did too. But he told me that I had this one characteristic that they couldn't give to somebody and they couldn't coach. I was all over the field. They could take that energy and they could direct it, but they just couldn't give that energy to people. I've never forgotten that as I worked with young people. Never forgot the idea that there are some things that are giftedness that you and I may consider a burden at this point. The fact that that boy went up there and sat at that piano and was willing to play chopsticks to that crowd. I look at that and think, that boy's gifted. Now, it may be inappropriate, but he's gifted. And to work with somebody like that. When I taught school, I always recognized that the boys, and, and, and again, I'm a boy myself, so I probably had my eye out for it. But the boys that were the most energetic the boys that got into trouble the most, I found they were some of the smartest people in my classroom. You see, they got bored real easily. So when I would say something, they understood it. I would say it again in another way, and now they're throwing spitballs at each other or something because they're bored. When I recognized the fact that they were bored and not disobedient, then I as a teacher could do something different to help them. Sometimes we have to look at teaching in a different way than we normally look at it. Here's another story that I read in my dad's cards. 
It's called imaginary damage. The little boy was helping his mother serve the guest at a dinner table. He brought a piece of pie, and he set it in front of his father, who passed it to one of the visitors. After several such trips, the little boy said, It's no use, Dad. The pieces are all the same size. (laughs) Think of that. It's not unusual to have our motives questioned. Sometimes we are hurt when someone accuses us of things that have never entered our minds. However, we are all guilty of imagining evil on the part of others. How often someone says, I'll bet he said that for my sake, or he said that to make me mad, or that to get even. Often we imagine that someone is rubbing salt in our wounds when we are the furthest thing from our mind. The person who loves in his heart thinketh no evil, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13.5. The Christian must not imagine evil or think the worst of others. He looks for the good and takes every action and word in the best possible light. People generally treat us the way we expect to be treated. Remember, life has enough barbs without imagining more. It came from a little clip from the Christian Standard by George F. Fall. Stories are great ways to teach. When you go into the Bible, Jesus uses stories often. And stories help illustrate a truth that you're trying to teach. So many times when I teach young people, I start off by telling them, this is a story from the Bible, but it's more than a story. I always want them to hear that line. It's more than a story. This has to do with life. It has to do with decisions and right and wrong and putting it in the context that you can understand. I think the genius teachers in life are those who take the complex issues of life and make them very simple. Because in reality, anything that's worth really knowing in life is simple. And it's also very profound. It has two sides to it. For example, marriage is actually very simple. When someone says marriage is hard, I don't think it's that hard. Now, you may say, well, you should be married to my spouse. Well, no, I just don't think marriage is hard. If you mean that we should make an effort in marriage to make it something that's special, you're right, we should make an effort, but that doesn't make it hard. I'll tell you what is hard, living in reality. Because when my marriage isn't what it should be, it's because I'm being self-centered, or my wife is being self-centered. That's the real problem. That's not hard to understand. Now, we could talk about what causes these complexities until we're blue in the face, but the truth is it's a simple problem to correct. If I'm being self-centered, I need to stop being self-centered. I need to confess that as a sin and get back on track with what I should be thinking about. There is no possible way in my marriage and to have my marriage good if I'm going to be self-centered and have my marriage all about me. I need to live in a way that demonstrates that I care about others, not just care about me. So many times we need to look at life and examine it through the stories of life so that we can understand what needs to be done next. There was a time when John Bava shared this in a, in a little paper called Scrapbooks of Radiant Gems. It was entitled, Let Him Dream On. An atheist 
hearing the testimony of a converted drunkard blurted out in scorn. It is nothing, I tell you. It's just foolishness, a figment of imagination, that is all. It is nothing but an escape from reality, a dream. Looking down, the atheist saw the bewildered eyes of a small child. Please, sir, he said with a sob. If he is dreaming, don't wake him up. He's been so good to us since the day he met Jesus. You see, he's my daddy. Small wonder what the atheist turned around with no answer. There is nothing so powerful as the testimony of a changed life. A true Christian will certainly live a changed life before the world. So often we don't get the whole story anyway. We think we do, we think we understand things, but when we start to talk, we, we don't. We don't understand what's going on in somebody else's mind or heart. In fact, I am convinced that when I judge somebody else, I'm judging them in a way that I would be guilty of if I lived their life. It's not really about them. It's more about me. It, it shows a light on who I am. And that's not healthy. I need to not judge other people and their motives. I love it when a little child can straighten out an older person just by observing what's true. Norm Peterson from Midlothian, Texas once said, What are you doing? When the noted English architect Sir Christopher Wren was directing and building a famous cathedral, some of the workers were interviewed by passing journalists. He asked three workers the same question, What are you doing? The first said, I'm cutting stone for ten shillings a day. The second replied, I'm putting ten hours of my life every day on this job. The third answered, I'm personally helping Sir Christopher Wren to construct one of London's greatest cathedrals. Which one of the three workmen do you suppose turned in the best day's work? And how much difference does attitude really make? When you were asked what you're doing, it could be a simple answer. It could be one that encompasses what you're really doing. The other day I was walking here on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute and a young person came up to me and said, Dave, what you, what you doing? I said, I'm walking to that building over there. And he just looked at me funny. And that was one of those really simple answers that he already knew. He wasn't really asking about whether I was putting one foot in front of the other. He was asking something else. But you can play games a little bit and tell people certain things that get their mind going. When you build a cathedral, are you mixing the mortar? Are you just putting in the time? Are you building the cathedral? Perspective for people is very important. Remember, God doesn't have perspective. And he really doesn't have opinions. It's, it's us, the people, that have perspective and have opinions. So it's important for us to get our perspectives and opinions in line with the truth. I've often told kids the story of trying to understand an elephant if you're blindfolded. It's a simple story that I think bears repeating. If you had never seen an elephant before in your life, and I had the privilege of introducing you to one, I would first have to get the permission from the zookeepers to go into the cage at the local zoo. 
and I would put a blindfold on you and take you up to the elephant, put your nose against the elephant, and pull the blindfold off and tell you to describe the elephant to me. Upon that, your description would not really be the same as if you were backed off a bit. In fact, I don't know what your description would be like. You could say it's rough, smelly, dark, whatever. I guess it depends on what part of the elephant I put you on. But if I backed you off just one centimeter, I'm not sure the description would change all that much. If I backed you off one foot, it might start to change. If I backed you off outside the fence of that zoo, it would change quite a bit. You would be able to tell me a little bit about the context of the elephant's life. If somehow I were able to get you off the earth and still give you view of the elephant, you might even be able to tell me a little bit about the elephant in context with the universe. You see, each time we moved, you would give a different explanation of the elephant because your perspective would have been different. Now, when you told me at first what the elephant was like, you weren't lying to me. You were telling me what the elephant was like according to the perspective that you had, and you had no other perspective. I think you and I need to understand that our perspectives do play a role in what we believe. But they shouldn't play the role of determining what's true and what's not true. That belongs to God alone. If we really want to know the truth, we need to go to God and study his word and know what he says and apply that to our lives and we'll see that it's true. Once again, he has no perspective and he has no opinion. So we're doing something that just absolutely makes sense as people. The elephant can be gray with big ears and a long nose. It could be a beautiful thing to behold unless your nose is stuck up against it. There are times in this life where I think my nose is stuck up against the elephant. In fact, normally when no one's around, if something happens, I might even mutter that phrase, my nose is stuck against this elephant, because I feel like I'm missing something. I don't always know what God does with all the circumstances of life that aren't pleasant. But I do know that the circumstances of life are totally in his control and that he loves me and has a plan with those circumstances to make me into the person I'm supposed to be. One day when I back off this life, I'm going to be able to look at that and say, wow, that's really cool. I often in my mind call it jigsaw puzzle theology. There is no such thing as jigsaw puzzle theology. I just made it up. But if there was, it would be like this. God has this jigsaw puzzle put together of my life. Now, I'm one that's never understood jigsaw puzzles. I I never really have figured out why somebody would take a perfectly good picture, cut it into a thousand pieces, put it in a box, and ask you to put it back together. But I do understand that there are people who love doing that kind of thing, and if you're one of them, enjoy. But I'm not one that likes those kinds of things. I actually like things finished. Not processed things, but I like them finished. And I know that this life, I'm never going to be finished until I'm gone. 
But God knows what the cover of my puzzle looks like, and what he does for me is he hands me one little piece at a time. And oftentimes, I don't know where that piece goes. I, I don't have the other pieces yet. Not only don't I have the other pieces, I also don't have the cover. So I, I'm, I don't even know where this could go yet. Here's what I'm absolutely sure of. I'm sure that God has the cover and knows where it goes, and if I wait long enough, I too will know where it goes. Perhaps I'm going to have to wait till the day I get to heaven to know. Perhaps on that day, he'll put that cover, turn it around, show it to me, and, and I'll go, oh, yes, I see it now. That's where it goes. In the meantime, what I need to do is trust that God knows what he's doing. I need to trust in what I know, not what I feel. I need to understand that my perspective is skewed if my, my eyes are blindfolded and my nose is against the problem. I need to realize that the puzzle piece that was handed to me is not the final piece of the puzzle because there are others that will go there as well and I will one day be able to put it in its proper place. So I can take those puzzle pieces one at a time and put them on the side and just wait and know that God will be faithful to me all of my life. I love reading stories or illustrations about children because children are so innocent and can do things that illustrate what we as adults do but do it secretively. I was reading a story about a boy who, well, I'll read it to you. A little boy was saying his bedtime prayers with his mother. Lord, bless Mommy and Daddy and God. Give me a new bicycle. Mom said, God's not deaf, son. And the boy said, I know, Mom, but Grandma's in the next room, and she's hard of hearing. <laughs> yeah, isn't that how it is sometimes? We want to act like we're praying, but we're really letting somebody else know so that maybe they'll take care of us. Oh, I know the theology. God could take care of us through somebody else, too. Another story, a boy age six was invited by a friend to have dinner. When his friend's family were all seated around the table and the food was served, the young guest was puzzled and with the frankness children are so well known for asked, don't you say any prayer before you eat? The host was embarrassed by the question and mumbled, no, we don't take time for that. The boy was silent for a moment and then said, oh, I see, you eat like my dog does. He just starts right in, too. <laughs> I'm sure uh, that was a most uncomfortable moment for that host. There are a lot of stories in life that illustrate the things that God talks about in his word because we represent those things. It's so easy for us to act like a child, yet it's our childlike faith that can actually bring us to God. It's our adult-like skepticism that destroys life. We need to be childlike more. Children can say things that they actually see and they have to learn to control what they say so that they're appropriate. Yet so often they say things that are just absolutely true. I love asking children about life and what's going on in their home. I love to ask a child if there's one thing your family's about what are they about? Just one thing, what are they about? You hear a lot of things. They're about money. They're about fun. They're about movies. They're about 
you fill in the blank. If your children were asked, what is your family about? What would they say if they were being honest? Those are the kind of things that help us understand what's important in life and the truth that we have to deal with in our life. Because sometimes we hear things when we're talking about truth that we don't really like because we've been very clever at hiding that for most of our lives so that we could look good. Stories do make learning a lot of fun. And they also help us laugh at ourselves at times because we can always tell a story that illustrates exactly what we're thinking and make it a story about someone else or some time else in history, yet have an example of things that we really need to work on. God's the ultimate storyteller. You go into the New Testament and you see Jesus always illustrating what he's talking about. Perhaps we can be creative too in how we tell people the truth of God's word. We could always go and use the stories Jesus used because they're perfect for the illustrations that he wants to make. Once again, I'm Dave Wager. You've been listening to the program we call Nighttime. Brought to you from the studios of Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Good night for now. <laughs>